So uh, typically what we're doing is we are working through a book. If you've been with us over the last few months, we've been working through First and Second Samuel. We'll be picking up a new book where we will just kind of dig into it and work through it chapter by chapter in August. We are taking, though, just a couple weeks to look at some of the kind of the core values of Redeemer. Um, and so we will be in Scripture this morning. Simply what that means is we'll be, we'll be bouncing around a little bit more. So if you want to take notes as to the passages we hit on, um, or if you um, want to turn, you're welcome to do that. Let me back up a little bit. Um, so last week we looked at our, our first core value. These are not ordered in, in, like, in priority or significance, um, but we looked at gospel-centered. That everything that we do here at Redeemer, we want to be viewed through the lens of the gospel being not just the work that saves us, um, but the work that continues to bear fruit in us. That we need to be reminded of the gospel often because we're prone to forget it, um, and because it's also what continues to bear fruit in our life. I mean, this morning, we're going to look um, at a second core value. This one we call um, being reflective of our community. We're going to get into what that means here in just a second. But this morning, um, in most sermons, kind of what we do is we, we build towards something, and, and there's a kind of a reveal at the end would be the idea. This morning, I want us to really kind of look at what the, the picture is that we're shooting for first, right? If you imagine watching a movie where the opening scene is confusing because you're like, I'm not sure what's going on, and then after a couple of minutes, it says, it, it, push, it pushes you back, you know, 24 hours before, two weeks before. And then the rest of the movie is getting you to that opening scene. And we're going to kind of try to build the sermon this morning that way, of giving this opening scene and then working back towards it. As we were in First and Second Samuel, right, we were reminded that, that people are longing for a place to belong. That they're looking for a kingdom to be a part of, a place that is safe, a place that is secure, a place where there is justice and joy and peace and stability. Right? It's the story of the Old Testament going, there is a king and a kingdom coming. And we know this morning that the church is a foretaste of heaven. It is a glimpse of that kingdom here on earth, where we are living out right, the, the salvation that Jesus has bought and purchased for us in relationship, in the midst of a sinful world. Right? And it's beginning to give us a glimpse of what heaven might look like a place to belong. And so I want to read, first and foremost, from Revelation chapter 7, beginning in verse 9, as we kind of create a scene that we'll be headed towards this morning. And after this I looked, this is John as he's, he's viewing this, and behold, a great multitude that no one can number from every nation, from all tribes, and people and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne, around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And so we have this beautiful and powerful scene of God being worshipped and glorified in heaven, surrounded by a multitude that cannot be numbered from all around the world. Right? This picture of many tribes and many nations and many tongues and many people 
all singing to the one true King, the one true God. Right? This exuberant worship. Right? A, 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 a crowd that we will one day join for those who know and are following, trusting and treasuring in Jesus. And if we turn back even to Revelation chapter 5, we'll see that it's Jesus who has purchased this. It's Jesus who has done this. In verse 9 of chapter 5, it says, They sang a new song saying this, Worthy are you to take the scroll to open its seals for you, right, Jesus, were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe, language, people, and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And so that scene in chapter 7 and chapter 5, we're told Jesus does this, right? It's through his life and his death and his resurrection, through his blood being spilt on our behalf, that folks from all over the world, from every inch of the globe, will be around the throne make, making much of Jesus for all time, worshiping God. That's the scene, right? That's where we're headed. But anecdotally, right, we know that this is not the reality in our current culture. Um, we know that this anecdotally hasn't really been the norm for churches, um, really ever, that, that this scene of those from every tribe and tongue and nation singing with one voice to one God. And so why? Like, what's, what's the disconnect? And so we probably, we, we really, we got to run back to the beginning for just a moment, right? To be reminded that as God created man and woman in Genesis 1, that he creates man and woman in his image. Right? And so we, we have to be reminded this morning that life has inherent value for all those who are created in the image of God, which is all people. That there's inherent value because they have been made by the loving hand of God. Like that we are reminded of that first and foremost in Scripture. We also, as we look at creation, we're reminded that creation is, is diverse. Right? Like that we don't just have a thing called food. We don't just have an animal called animal. Right? We don't just have something called landscape. Like We have diversity in food and taste and smell in, in animals, right? in places, in experiences, in weather and temperatures. Right? That we experience these things because God has created a diverse world and called it good. And it was for our enjoyment and our benefit from the hands of a good Father who created it for us. And we know the story that in Genesis 3 we see sin and rebellion enter the world, and so everything gets fractured and everything gets more difficult. Relationships um, are, are challenging, right? Pain enters into childbirth. It says that man is going to be going to have to work by the sweat of his brow because land is cursed, right? Like everything just is fractured and it's broken. And so even Romans, Paul will write, like creation itself is groaning, longing for the day where things will be restored. And so right now, today, we're living in the midst of that brokenness. But we have eyes to see that Revelation 7 is where we're headed. Like that is our future. And that in the midst of this, the church is getting to be a glimpse, a foretaste of that day, of that picture in this world right now. Like that's our call and that's the expectation upon us. And in Genesis 12, so just a few chapters after the beauty of creation, the horror of sin and rebellion, in Genesis 12 we have the beginning of a story. It is our story. 
And it's God choosing a man, Abraham. And from that man, He's going to build a people, a nation. And He tells Abraham, who has no children at this time, you're going to bless the world through this nation. Listen to this. This is uh, Genesis 12, 1-3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Church, this morning in 2021 in West Texas, as a non-Jewish audience, we are the recipients of that that promise in Genesis 12. That for thousands of years, people have been faithful to point to God and to a kingdom and to a rescue that happened in a Middle Eastern place, right? By a non-American Jesus, right? Who, who bought our salvation. Through His life and His death and His resurrection. And now 2,000 years removed from that, this morning we are recipients of that that the Old Testament, a story of a Jewish people, the nation of Israel, is our story because of Jesus. It's our story of hope, of peace, of kingdom, of redemption. We are recipients of this. We have been brought into this so that we can be a part of Revelation 7. This thing that started far from us long ago. But there's an issue. Because we live in a sinful and broken world, marred by rebellion, right? This is not what things look like right now. This doesn't feel like the world that we live in. We've been corrupted, we've been affected, and we are prone to divide. Listen, we are prone to divide on literally everything. Right? On money, right? On power, on politics, on skin color, right? On preferences, on, on things that are far more um, significant than that. Right? We, we just are we're prone to divide on almost everything. It's just kind of who we are. And we see then in James chapter 2, that is James, the half-brother of Jesus, is writing to the church He's warning the church. He's not saying, hey, this is an issue for those who don't know Jesus. Not an issue for us. He's saying, hey, church, this is still going to be an issue for us. Listen to what he writes, beginning in verse 1. Remember, he's writing to a Christian audience. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly... And a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in. And if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, You, sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, You stand over there, or sit at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which He has promised to those who love Him? But you have dishonored the poor man, Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? 
If you really fulfill the royal law according to the Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressor. So what I want us to note this morning is this, is that Scripture speaks strongly about partiality. And listen, it is not in this moment even about ethnicity or race. Right? So prejudice is a sin. Right? But partiality is also a sin. And we can, be, we can show partiality in a ton of ways to a ton of different groups of people. Right? That we just become more comfortable with those who are more like us. But listen, Paul writes, and this is in 1 Corinthians. I told you we're going to jump around a little bit. Chapter 12. Again, writing to the church, beginning in verse 12. So 1 Corinthians 12, 12. For just as the body, meaning the church, is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So Paul is saying, listen, we all got into the church the same way because of Jesus. Whether you're a slave or free, whether you're a Jew or Greek, whether you're a man or a woman, whether you're an adult or a child, right? we all get in the same way through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And so prejudice within the church, partiality within the church is a sin because it's, it's disavowing what God has done to unite and to bring us together. We see in the life of Jesus that he's with both the poor and the rich, with men and with women, with kids, with powerful and powerless, with the sick and with the healthy. And it's why Paul will write in Ephesians chapter 2, enough of these, I couldn't mark them all. Listen to how Paul will write this. Ephesians chapter 2 beginning in verse 12. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Listen, no hope and without God, right? It's the idea that you're not a part of the kingdom. And yet we see it and we want to be a part of it. And we long for it. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, he has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. He's abolished the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace. That he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. He came and he preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through Him we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. So then you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. That God has torn down the wall of hostility. That what we need to be united is simply Christ. That He draws us into one family, giving us hope and peace and stability and joy and access. And no one, and, and the Jews here don't get to claim they have more of it than the non-Jews. Right? The rich don't get to claim they have more than the poor. 
And he's saying, you're all brought into one family together with access to the one who has rescued you. But this was an issue. Partiality, prejudice was, was an issue in the early church. We see it in Acts chapter 6, where deacons first emerge, right? Because the widows are being taken care of, and those of, that were of Jewish were being taken of better than those who were Greek speaking Jews, right? And so, like, hey, we've got to gonna make sure we're taking care of everyone the same. And so deacons emerge in Acts chapter 6. In Acts chapter 15, the question is, are we going to allow non-Jews to be a part of the church? Are we really going to say that the gospel is for them? This is good news for us because they decide, yes, it is. Right? In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, right as Paul's writing to the Corinthian church, he's saying, listen, the rich who don't have to work as much you're showing up and taking the Lord's Supper while the poor are off working and they're believers in the same church. Like you are creating divisions within the body because you're not seeing each other as equal. So we see the expectation that we're supposed to have, that we are one in Christ. But we see that even from the beginning there were issues in the early church. And so it's not surprising that today that we're still affected by this sort of sin and corruption. Ultimately, here's, here's, here's the rub. Whatever we identify with the most is where we're going to be most quick to divide. The church this morning, if politics is the thing that you identify yourself with the most, then people who don't agree with you politically, you are going to be quick to divide with them. Right? That if you identify yourself as mostly with your status or your name or your wealth or your power or your influence, then those who don't have those things is where you're going to most quickly divide. That whatever it is that you think most deeply about yourself, ethnicity, right, your nation, whatever it is, those who don't look or agree with you, then you're willing to walk away from them. But in Christ, right, what's it say? That if Christ is our deepest identity, and it should be, because He's the one who's rescued us, it's the one eternal aspect that we have, Right? Politics will go away. Nations will go away. Everything is going to go away by the Word of God and His church. So if we're identified most by that, then we begin to live in a way that reflects that everyone has inherent value, regardless of whether they look like us, talk like us, sound like us, or not. That we have a different call, and we're going to get to this, that if we are identifying ourselves first and foremost by Jesus, our Rescuer, our Savior, our King, our Lord. So, church, unity pleases Jesus. It honors the Lord. Right? It honors Him. Because it's a recognition that He is enough for us to have in common that we can lay everything else aside. That He is sufficient and enough that. We can lay down our preferences because there's something bigger at play, which means we can lay down our comfort. We can lay down our um, things that make us feel at ease or familiar. We can lay down our power. We can lay down this, I was here first, so I get to set the, the standard. Like We can lay those things down and say, listen, if we have Jesus in common, that is sufficient. Like We can run after Jesus Together, we can lay down our preferences and think more highly of someone else. 
church this morning, we belong to a family. And that family was put together by Jesus. Like He has brought it together. And so are we humble enough to say it's not on our hands or on our backs that we've done this, but Jesus is doing this work. I want you to listen to this quote from Dr. Brian Loretta's. He says, family and friendships aren't synonymous. Many of you would say like a hearty amen, right? As you think about your family. Your family is who you're responsible for. You don't get to choose your family, right? You don't get to choose your grandparents, your cousins, your aunts and uncles. But you choose your friends. Churches are families. So our church has to be a place where people feel responsible for each other. In church, friendships may happen, but family must happen. Right? Like, that we are responsible for one another because Jesus has brought us together and said, you're family. Right? And, and by God's grace, there are a lot of great friendships that have emerged here, depth of relationship. But we are responsible for one another because Jesus has brought us together and he has placed us in West Texas, and he's placed us in this community or in a surrounding community to reflect his nature, his character, his image, his kingdom, his foretaste of heaven for as long as he has us here. Like that's what we're called to do, who we're supposed to be. So it's why even in our gospel communities, our groups that meet through the week, that we don't um, grade them out by ages or life stages. Right? We don't want group thing that everyone is just alike. Right? We want there to be diversity of age, of situation, of circumstances, of education, of socioeconomics, everything, because it looks like the church. It looks like family, and Jesus has done that work. And so ultimately what it means that we want to be reflective of our community is that anyone who walks through that door could walk in and go, I see myself here. Right? This isn't just the rich church. This isn't just the educated church. This isn't just the poor church. This isn't just, the, right? Like it's not any one thing. It's a family made up of people that you look across Tampa and West Texas and go, okay, yeah, they belong here because they live here. And that they all would say we could be a part of this thing. So it means that we pursue. We pursue people to give them an opportunity to speak and we want to listen because we were pursued when we were the enemies of God. Like that Jesus pursued us and demonstrated His love for us and brought us in to the family and seats us at His table with Him. We have a place of belonging, and so this body needs to be a place of belonging for those in Tampa who Jesus is pursuing and rescuing and bringing together. Like what a picture of the power of the gospel in the world. Like what a picture of the gospel in a world right now that is divided on everything if we can be unified on everything. Right? Like if we if any type of person can be unified in a part of this, what a picture of the power of the gospel and of grace. That God is doing a work. It's why he'll tell us in Philippians two, three, right, to think more highly of others than we do ourselves. Why? Because this is the same mindset that Jesus had in leaving heaven to pursue us, right? That we're reflecting his nature and his character by doing that. So church, we want to have eyes for every pocket of Tampa. If people are here, look, we don't get to pick who lives here, 
but we serve who lives here. By God's grace, right, we pursue and we listen and we say there's a place for you to belong because Jesus is enough for you because he was enough for me. And we can be family. He's sufficient. But it also gives us eyes beyond Tampa. Listen to Psalm 96, verses 3 and 4. So declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, for He is to be feared above all gods. Right? Declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous works. Right? That we are to be a people who are declaring His works. And being unified as we do that, being a family as we do that, is the power of the Gospel in a broken, divided, and corrupt world. That it gives us eyes not just for our home, but it gives us eyes for the world. Because there will be a day where we will be standing around the throne room of God with people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, singing to Jesus who is worthy of that. We don't do it to beat our chest. We do it because Jesus is worthy of that worship. And He has promised that there are folks in all of those nations who are going to come to faith. We're going to know Him and love Him. So here's where we're going to end. You get to be an ambassador. Like that, that is your role. You get to be an ambassador of King Jesus, King Jesus in this life. Who you get to be. So you're pointing not to yourself, not even to an individual church. You're pointing to Jesus and saying, look at what He's done. I was once an enemy, and now I'm a son or a daughter of the King. I was once out, and now I'm in. And I belong, and I'm safe, and I'm secure. Not because of my hands, or my merit, or my effort, but because of Jesus. And this offer is to you as well, that there's a better king, a better way, a better kingdom, and that you can belong to it. Listen, where earlier we said whatever our identity is is where we most are most likely to divide. If our identity is first and foremost in Jesus Christ, and we become a people who are willing to fight for peace and to reconcile even with our enemies because that's what He imaged for us. And so we don't divide over those things. We actually pursue and engage over those things by the Spirit of God. So church, we want to be gospel-centered, but we also want to be reflective of our community. We want to look like Tampa that you could feel free to invite anyone from your circle, from your neighborhood, from your work, from your family, to this place, and they would say, yeah, I can belong here. Not because we're better, but because Jesus is. He is enough, and He is sufficient, and He has proven that. And so, here's the thing. This morning, as a Christian in Pampa, Texas, you have more in common with a Middle Eastern believer this morning than you would with an unbelieving neighbor. You're saying, whoa, 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 wait a second. You have more in common in, in ways that matter. Right? There's a lot of things that would divide, a lot of things that would make us look different, but in the things that matter, you have more in common because you'll be standing around the throne room of God with them someday. And so would we begin to wrap that mindset, ask the Spirit to begin to move, to give us eyes to see people the way that He does, and to invite them into the family because Jesus is worthy of worship and they have a place to belong. Let's pray.
Father, this morning we come knowing that uh, everything we see in the news, everything that we see in the, the rhetoric in the world around us is telling us to be fearful, is telling us to divide, is telling us to, to hunker down, to bide our time. But God, that's not who you are. That you have redeemed us and rescued us God, from the enemies of sin, Satan, and death, God, you have freed us with good news. And we have good news for those who are still captive. That you free captives. That you give sight to the blind, hope to the hopeless. God, that we have good news and it belongs to the world. Lord, in this moment, would you bring faces and names and people to our minds of, of those that we need to pursue, asking you to rescue and to save them and to draw them into our family. God, maybe this morning we, what we need to do is simply repent because we know exactly where we would be willing to divide and it's not you. And God, that we would have you reorder and reprioritize our heart with you on the throne. That we would be unwilling to divide over things that are not eternal. God, we know this is foreign to the world that we live in. God, but we want to look like the one who found the great pearl, the hidden treasure. We want to look like the one who's found something because it's better, and it is, and it's you. Would you be pleased with our worship this morning, God, but would you be pleased with our, our wrestling over this topic? and our obedience to the calling that you give. In Jesus' name.